This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, our guest is Candace Delacona, and she's a principal of Opic Kermit. Welcome, Candace. Thanks so much for having me, Gary. So, Candace, what made you decide to get into law? So, you know, I think when I was young, um, in my college years and pretty idealistic, my goal was to help people. And that vision of what helping people look like kind of evolved. Um, and what really happened was a personal experience with um, my grandfather, who grew up here in New York City, very poor, and made a go of it and became quite successful. Um, and like most seniors, uh, dealt with issues of aging. And what my grandfather dealt with was dementia. Um, and he did not have any planning in place. Um, unfortunately, and we were in a position where we couldn't save. Um, his life's work. You know, he worked really hard to save money and his goal was to leave it to his family. Um, and in the end, we spent it all on his care, which obviously we don't regret in any way. But had we known about the field at the time of elder law and asset protection planning, um, we probably could have done a lot more to preserve his dignity and to preserve what was in, in his own mind and heart, his legacy. Um, so helping people was really sort of paramount. And I, I went to law school, actually, with the intention of becoming an elder care and trust in the state's attorney. Oh, okay. So, you know, that, that, that's kind of what, what got you started and everything else. What, what keeps the fire burning and, and making you want to, to stay in this field? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's different every day, Gary. Um, and the ability to help people 20 years ago... Um, has sort of evolved and broadened in many ways. Um, You know, it can look like asset protection planning, like someone like my grandfather, who may be dealing with uh, a disease of the age, as they call it. It can 
can involve the probate of an estate where someone has lost a loved one, um, a parent, a child, God forbid, um, a sibling, a spouse, and helping a family kind of get through that process and demystifying it for them because it's part of what you have to do when someone passes away. Uh, in in the, the re most recent COVID years, what I've been dealing a lot with are predatory issues perpetrated against seniors. Um, and the predatory issues, in my mind, have really increased uh, since the years of COVID. So helping people can really run the gamut of really mundane, uh, getting a will in place, putting a guardianship provision in for a young couple's, you know, brand new baby to dealing with probate to stopping a predatory boyfriend or girlfriend from stealing all of mom and dad's money. Right. Uh, so it really does depend. Yeah. Um, you know, lot, lots of times, you know, I have found and and that many people think, oh, well, I don't need that because I don't, I don't have a whole lot. Yeah. So what, you know, if, if you're talking to somebody and they say, oh, well, I, you know, I don't need any of that. Um, I don't have, I really don't have a whole lot. I'm not rich. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what's your take on that? Yeah. So, you know, everyone needs an estate plan. It's not one size fits all. It's not if you reach a threshold of assets, you should then have an estate plan. It certainly can be more simple if you have less. But everyone in their lives have something that's important to them. Um, like with young couples, they may have a mortgage that matches the equity in their home, right? And they may not have a lot of savings because they're just starting out in life, but they have children. And those children need guardians in place in the event something happens to their parents. So they may not have tangible assets or wealth, but they have children. Um, Middle-class people say that all the time. You know, I just have my home. I just have my pension, but your home is an asset that deserves protection too. Um, it does not have to be extraordinarily expensive to create an estate plan. Um, the less complex, the less costly it is. So I tell people all the time that, you know, you should certainly speak with a professional um, before making those presumptions that maybe you don't need anything. Right. Now, lots of times people think that, oh, I have a will saying who I want things to go to. Can, can you kind of explain the difference between just, just having the will versus having, you know, doing some estate planning and having a, a trust in place? Absolutely. So we get that, that uh, call quite often, right? Where someone has passed away and they say, but I have, I have the will and I'm appointed as the executor. And what many people don't realize is having a will necessitates probate. Right. Um, so while it does save time, the other option is not having a will, right? It still has to be authenticated. It still has to go through the process, whatever state you're in, whether you're here in New York City where I am, or you're in California or Iowa, wherever you are, a will has to be authenticated. And that process is called probate. It's the proving that a person has died, vetting the executor and making sure that he or she is an appropriate choice and that the will was signed properly in your state. So that process can be expensive, it can take a lot of time here in New York City. We're dealing with inordinate delays, right. um, particularly in some of the boroughs that I will not name. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the way to sort of circumvent the probate process is not by not having a will. It's by having a trust in place. And so a trust is a will substitute 
right? It directs where you want your assets to go, but there is no proving that someone has passed away or that the person you've appointed as trustee is a good choice. And there is no court proceeding with respect to that trust. So it circumvents the whole probate process. Costs are lower. There isn't a waiting period. So having a trust may be an option for, for certain people, depending on what their circumstances are. Right. You know, we've helped people through this process uh, many times after the fact, and we have found um, that lots of times, you know, especially I'm going to say our parents and grandparents, it's always been taboo to talk about the, the family finances and stuff. And a lot of people don't want to deal with this because it, it's... They're talking about death. It's inevitable, but nobody wants to ever talk about it. Um, can you talk about some of the things that you've seen because people haven't done the planning? What can happen? Absolutely. I mean, I think you bring up a really important point, right? People don't want to talk about death, disability, dying. Um, I try to flip the switch um, when, when I can get a client on the phone or prospective client on the phone or talk to them. We try to, to sort of change the dialogue into one of empowerment, where you are making the decisions about who is going to speak for you, whether it's after your death or during a time of incapacity, like my own grandfather. If you don't have the mental ability to pay your bills one day, you should decide who you trust to be on that power of attorney, right. to act as an agent. The cautionary tales, and I don't like using fear as a motivator. I, I think that it sort of cheapens the whole dialogue in, in some ways because not everybody is ready at the same point to have these conversations and they can be difficult for all sorts of reasons depending on the person. But what I tell people in New York is if you don't have those proper documents in place, what we have to do if you lose the mental capacity and you're still alive, a guardianship proceeding has to occur which there is no dignity in. Right. It's a judge saying that we don't think that you have the ability to make decisions and we're going to appoint someone for you, a judge who's never met you before, doesn't know your family dynamic, your family history, your ideas about the type of care that you want, bills, how you want them to be paid, whether or not the, you know your son-in-law who's showing up at the guardianship proceeding who's putting on a really good show could be a terrible person with finances, right? Right. So, Doing the exercise before that time negates all of that. And you can actually be the one to decide if you become incapacitated or upon your passing, these are the people that I trust most in life to effectuate whatever my wishes are. So if I, if I were to have my will or a trust set up, I, I give, you know, I have, you know, somebody that has power of attorney over, you know, my financial dealings. How does that affect from the healthcare side? Because, you know, we've heard a lot more, especially during COVID, you know, about people going into the hospital and their, their siblings or, or, or kids not having the proper paperwork to, to say what needs to happen. You're right. I mean, I think that, you know, as a nation, we faced this worldwide health crisis, which was COVID particularly in the first few months of COVID, um, where there were lots of discussions about the type of care that you want and lots of discussions about who's going to speak for me if I ever get to the point where I can't speak for myself. So New York's answer and many states' answers 
um, is to have a document called a healthcare proxy. A proxy is a person that you appoint and you say that person knows my ideas about living, dying, and healthcare treatment. Talk to that live person here about any sort of care that I would want if I can't communicate those wishes to my healthcare folks. A lot of states have something also called a living will, which gives more direction in terms of what you would want, which I think can be helpful, but it could also be problematic in some ways because there's no possible way to anticipate any, everything that could befall you. I think what's most important is the person you appoint does not substitute his or her own judgment for yours. Your words should move through that healthcare proxy so that they advocate for you in a way that you'd be able to do on your own if you had the capacity to do so. Right. What are, in, in going through this process with people, what are some of the common mistakes you're seeing people make before they come to you or, or there's probably quite a few times that you're, you're cleaning up after the fact? What are, what yeah. are the, the mistakes that you see people making? Well, from the outset, if I'm meeting with a client who's not done an estate plan before, you know, we're, we're getting into the nitty gritty of families, family dynamics, right. um, and, and things that might be a little uncomfortable. Um, so I try to make it a space where clients feel comfortable telling me everything. It's so important to be forthcoming with your estate planning lawyer about your family structure and the players within that family. Issues like addiction, for example, mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they hold a lot of pain and, and perhaps shame. Um, but with an estate plan that's set up properly, you can make sure that if you want to leave money to your loved one who may or may not have addiction problems, that the money can be left in such a way that won't harm them. Um, by the same token, you have a son whom you love, you know, endlessly, but he's a complete maniac with money. Um, let's protect him from himself so that all of the money isn't lost within six months of your death. Um, alternatively, difficult marriages, right? You have children who you're observing some seemingly issues in their own marriage and you don't want to maybe speak up um, and, and cause any sort of difficulty with your in-law child. There is a way to create an estate plan that accounts for that. So I would say one of the mistakes is not being forthcoming because there are there are always ways to, to deal with whatever issues you think no one else has. Because P.S. Everyone has them. Oh, it yeah. always shocks me when people come in and they say, no, there are no issues here. It ha happens so rarely. Um, so I do encourage people to say, look, you know, I've heard it all. You're not going to shock me. Right. There's, there's, a, there's always that one in the family anyway, right? Always or two. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, because I know that, that I've seen from my side um, lots of times that um, people, you know, if they have a child, you, you know, you mentioned drug addiction, but if they have a, have a child that has some type of special needs or that, that uh, even as an adult child that may be on some type of a disability or, or state funded program. And if they were to get the money directly from the estate, then they're going to lose their benefits that they have. Um, now you've said that there's, you know, ways are around that. Can you talk a little bit on that? Absolutely. You know, I think that, thank goodness, uh, medical communities have made such great strides in diagnosing all sorts of issues, whether mental or physical disabilities, 
And as you point out, depending on what your disability is, there's a really good chance that your local city, state government, and, and oftentimes federal government will help pay and supplement the cost of that care. What many people don't realize is that they're means tested, meaning how much money do you have determines whether or not you can receive that care. There are provisions in the law that allow family members to leave those disabled people who are on means tested government assistance money in a trust. Um, most states have codified this that allow this under the law so that you don't have to disinherit this child or a grandchild. Instead, you leave them money in a special needs trust that will allow the person to have the money in the trust while simultaneously receiving those government benefits. Right. And the public policy behind it, of course, is that, look, your life is hard enough being a disabled person. You know, if your family wants to make it easier for you so that you have some money here for extra therapy or a nice vacation or a nicer home, that you can still do so while simultaneously receiving those government benefits related to your disability. Right. What about, um, you know, that, you know, I have my home, I have my retirement, account, I have these things and um, something happens to me and I don't have a trust at this point. And as somebody ages, I mean, lots of times, I mean, I've heard the horror stories where it's like, okay, basically you've had to sell your house and do all this stuff and basically, you know, deplete all your assets. And, and this was something you, you talked about with, with your grandfather. How is it that we're able to protect it and how long do we need to, I don't want to say C4, because I know your opinion is going to be, get it now, don't wait. But what, what's the time frame and, and you know, uh, kind of the, a little bit of the guidelines there? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, even if there's no ability to plan, even if it's a crisis, and it, it does happen, I always tell people, we may not be able to save the whole house. <laughs> But if it's on fire, we can put the fire out and we can certainly save something. So don't assume that all is lost because you haven't done the planning, number one. Number two, you know, people ask that question all the time. When should I start considering these options in terms of asset protection? Well, it, it's sort of uh, multifaceted. First and foremost, if God forbid you get a diagnosis of something, uh, right? Parkinson's, ALS, cancer, dementia, Alzheimer's, those are really good times to really take stock of what you have. And, you know, in some ways, as, as odd as it sounds, is it is a benefit to know because then you have a roadmap of what your life is going to be like. Whereas people who don't have these diagnoses, they talk in very sort of what if terms. And it's harder for us to accept that maybe we'll get sick one day. We all assume we won't and we all assume we won't die. Yeah. Um, so, so certainly, you know, once you receive the diagnosis. I also tell people, you know, different times in your life, um, if you, God forbid, become divorced and you have to reassess, that's a great time to look at what you have, where you're going and what your future is, because you have to rely on you. Um, after divorce, I would say retirement age, where you're really thinking, well, you know, what's my life going to look like? I have my assets here. I may have a great pension, but this is going to be the sum certain of what I'm left with. How do I protect it? Um, if you're, if people look for an age, I say 60 is a good age, uh, to come in. If you haven't done it before, even if we sit down and you have another 10 years of, of work left and you have a great long-term care insurance policy, let's just sketch it out for you. 
um, so that you're not worried about the unknown and you kind of give yourself a timeline. So I think those are pretty good triggers in terms of when it's best to talk to people. But I will say again, even if the unexpected occurs, and even if you've not done any of the planning, don't assume there's nothing you can do in the time of the crisis, because there always is. Not optimal, but we right. can always help. No, I think that's great advice. I know that, that you know, I have seen, you know, many times with a family member, they're coming in thinking that everything's been been taken care of. Um, and reality is it, it, it isn't. Um, you know, they may have some stuff inside a trust, some, some stuff outside the trust. It could be that, you know, one spouse has an account that they didn't know about, you know, somebody didn't know about. Um, you know, we've, we've seen issues where, um, and I think when you're talking about, you know, life things that happen, divorce and so forth, it's always important to, to look at, you know, who your beneficiaries are um and, and to, to to get things updated um i always like to tell people since since we do taxes i always like to tell people it's like okay you know your doctor tells you that you're supposed to come and get a physical every year to me you should do your financial checkup every year also from you know talking with someone like me or the financial advisor i'm assuming that that you want to you would like to see people um you know on a regular basis to update things what how often are you asking people to come in or at least do do a call or something like that uh, to look at I things mean, right so it's different for everyone uh, i think a lot of the triggers are similar um we say the d's right death disability distance divorce um so death of a loved one or someone in your will or your executor is certainly a good time disability of someone that you love for reasons we discussed, maybe you have to set up a different type of trust for them that you wouldn't have done in the past. Distance, so you appoint a healthcare proxy and they move to London and they're in a different time zone. Maybe that doesn't make sense going forward, having that person as your healthcare proxy. Um, divorce, for obvious reasons, updating those beneficiaries. We've seen some really um, unlikely scenarios where people have forgotten to, to remove oh, yeah. beneficiaries and they're in the midst of a divorce and they're something happens to them. So I, I definitely think those are good triggers. And then from, from a time period perspective, I love when people check in with me on an annual basis, um, just to say, hey, nothing's changed. Um, but, you know, just checking in, you know, the perfect example is in New York, we changed the power of attorney uh, form last year. And uh, it cured a lot of defects in the last go around with the power of attorney form. Um, so I really took that opportunity to reach out to as many clients as I could to just say, hey, maybe this is a good time to update your documents. So if there's a really big change in the law, you know, we try to notify people um, for that reason. Medicaid right now in New York is, is in flux. Um, so I've been in contact with clients quite often for that reason. So it's kind of a two-way street. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, you were talking about distance and one of the things that brings to mind for me is more, you know, you you uh, lived in a neighborhood and everybody had kids at the same time. So everybody's that that kind of that same age. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, my next door neighbor, Sally's going to be, you know, the, the, the guardian for my kids if something happens to us. Well, now Sally's moved to California. You know, so if Sally's. Yeah still still that you know what do you do you know kind of what do you do until sally can get back here yeah 
Yeah. I mean, you're, you, you bring up a good point where you have to constantly reassess who you love and who's important in your life. Um, and I tell people that when, when we're doing the exercise of the state planning, you know, oftentimes they'll say, I don't know how I'm going to feel then. And what I tell clients, instead of trying to forecast, I say, let's pretend you're dying tomorrow. As morbid as that is, <laughs> who are your people? Who right. are the people that you love, that you trust, that you entrust to, to care for your children, to be trustees? And guess what? If those circumstances change, so do your documents. Your documents are going to change as your life changes. And that's perfectly okay. So think about who's important now in your life. Right. And then make those decisions accordingly. And if that changes in the future, we can pivot just like we do with life in general. Right. Right. Exactly. Now, I know we've only scratched the surface of, of you know, what, what you're doing and the importance of it and what we need to do. Um, what have I not asked you that you wish I had? So that's a great question. You know, I would say that one of the things that I would want everyone to know is that talking about your estate plan or making these plans doesn't mean you're going to die tomorrow. Right. Um, it doesn't have to be a morbid discussion. As I mentioned previously, it can be an exercise of empowerment and it's something you can check off and then you don't have to think about for a while. You know, you can really say, you know, I have sort of my house in order. So I would say, you know, one of the things, maybe the takeaway for your audience is that it does not have to be a doom and gloom conversation, right. um, you know, just to get it done. Everyone needs an estate plan and better you be the one to decide rather than have, uh, you know, those, those decisions made for you. Right, right. So Candice, if people like what they hear and they would like to reach out to you to have a discussion with you, how, how can they reach you? So they can certainly reach me by email um, and I'll give that to you or telephone, of course, the old fashioned way. Um, and they can take a look at our website, opfitperman.com. Um, my email is my name, which is Candice Delacona at opfitperman.com. Um, so they can just head to our website and there's a link right there to get in touch with me. And my phone number is 929-476-0051. Great. I really appreciate your time. Great conversation. A lot of great points. Um, I think our listeners are going to get a lot, uh, you know, from this podcast today. Well, thanks so much for having me, Gary. Your, your podcast is terrific. Great. Thank you. This You're week, welcome. our guest was Candace Delacona of All Fit Kerman. See you guys next week. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.